There is nothing better than God. There is no relationship. There is no job. There is no home. There is no possession. Nothing is better than him. Nothing does what he can do. As we led into this message with that worship song, it just that's a song that we often will sing at student conferences, and, and often that's a hype song for the kids, and they, they hit the drums, and they bang, 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 and, and turn graves into gardens, and, and turn, turn bones into armies. There's, there's no, nothing that does what our God does, and that is a great, great reason to worship and to celebrate him this morning. I am very excited and a little bit nervous because uh, it's not without nerves that you come in front of a, a group of, of God's people and you, you attempt to, to share what the Lord has put on your heart, what the Holy Spirit has given to you in a way that is understandable, in a way that, that changes hearts and changes lives. That is not something that I take lightly or that I go into um, without some small bit of nerves, but, but the Lord gives peace beyond all understanding. And so I'm excited to share with you this morning um, out of Isaiah chapter 28, we're going to be looking at here in just a minute. But I want to begin this morning with, with something that should help all of us, whether we're uh, elementary school kids or, or senior saints or wherever we end up in the middle. This is, this is a sermon in a sentence. And the goal of this is so that if you check out in the next five minutes, um, at least, hopefully, you'll have the whole sermon boiled down into one sentence, and we go to lunch later, and somebody asks you, hey, how was the message? You can tell them, well, this is what he talked about, and it was something else. So, sermon in a sentence. This is something I picked up from one of my mentors in Texas, and, and he would always get this way. So, for this morning, here's our sermon in a sentence. Knowledge of God without a relationship with God ultimately leads to destruction. Knowledge of God without a relationship with God ultimately leads to destruction. And this morning, as we begin to unpack that, I hope to show you the way Scripture warns us against knowledge about God that isn't tempered by an active relationship with God. So as I mentioned earlier, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 28, and I hope you'll begin to turn there in your Bibles or on your phones. And as you're doing that, I want to give you some context. Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord. Many of you are familiar with several passages in Isaiah. But, but I want to make sure that you understand Isaiah was not a short-term prophet. Isaiah chapter 1 tells us that he served across the, the reigns of four kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. That's a long ministry. Throughout the, the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, Isaiah was a consistent presence in the office of prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah, consistently sharing with his people the words of the Lord. And this passage, Isaiah chapter 28, most people believe comes from the reign of Hezekiah. This comes later in Isaiah's life and in his ministry. Why is that important? Well, I think what we'll see here in Isaiah 28 is, is he's going to have some harsh words for the other prophets and priests in Judah. And I think that that harshness comes off a whole different way if we understand this is not Isaiah 
fresh into the ministry scene, green, wet behind the ears, ministry guy such as myself. This is Isaiah sitting in his office with all the weight of decades of experience sharing the words of the Lord. Now looking at the next generation that will lead Judah, the next generation of prophets and priests. He looks at them and he has some very harsh words for them. But it's the harshness that comes with experience that comes with knowing what they're about to face and seeing them making bad choices. So with all that context in mind, um, I want you to stand with me if you're willing uh, and able. And we're going to read Isaiah chapter 28, 9 through 13. And then we're going to read verses uh, 26, 23 through 29. So Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 through 13. And well, I'm in the ESV, and I think there'll be ESV on the screen behind me. Um, so you can follow along if you're, if you're not in that particular translation. Isaiah 9 says, To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. By people of strange lips, with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. To whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary. This is repose, yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And then he continues in verse 23, further on in the chapter. Isaiah says, give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place, and immer as the border? For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Thank you. Y'all may be seated. So we have Isaiah prophesying to the people. We have Isaiah speaking here in, in chapter 28. And I want you to keep in mind our sermon in a sentence. Knowledge of God without a relationship with God, ultimately leads to destruction. And we're going to see if we can unpack what's happening in these two sets of verses. So we have 9 through 13 that we're going to look at, and then I think something different is happening in 23 through 29. So we're going to take them in two pieces. Starting off in verse 9, we get this pair of questions. To whom will the Lord teach knowledge? To whom will he explain his message? And what's not immediately apparent here in the passage is who the speaker is in these verses. See, there's debate amongst Christian scholars about whether or not Isaiah's speaking here in 9 through 13, or whether or not these prophets and priests that he's addressing are speaking back to him in 9 through 13. And I, I want to take you briefly through both schools of thought, and then I'm going to tell you which interpretation I lean towards, even though it's the one in the minority. So... First off, the majority of people believe that it's the prophets that are speaking here. 
um, that this group of drunk, arrogant, foolish prophets and priests that Isaiah has been condemning throughout the opening verses of this chapter, that in verse 8 he actually says about these prophets and priests that their tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. Isaiah has such a low opinion of these drunkards that he's literally describing the places where they prophesy as you can't even put scripture down on these tables because they're covered with vomit. These guys are so wasted, so drunk, that they're just throwing up all over the place. So one school of interpretation has those men speaking back to Isaiah and saying to him, who are you to tell us what to do, Isaiah? Who are you to try and lecture us? Are we not the prophets and priests of the Lord? Isaiah, what you're talking about, we interpret as blah, blah, blah. Literally, this is what many scholars believe this Hebrew is better interpreted as in verse 10. Instead of precept upon precept, line upon line, many Hebrew scholars will tell you that this is not translatable. It's not to be interpreted. It's, it's baby talk. It's gibberish. It's not actually to be interpreted this way. So that's one school of thought as to what's happening here in these verses. And I told you, I actually kind of lean more towards this kind of minority view, which is that Isaiah is actually still talking here. So Isaiah has spoken in verses 1 through 8 about his disdain for the prophets, about how they are destroying the nation of Judah. I think that he continues attacking them in verse 9. See, I think what's actually happening in verse 9 is that instead of righteous indignation from these false prophets, we have God's true prophet calling out their arrogance. Isaiah is saying to them, to whom will the Lord teach knowledge? Who can he share his message with? Surely not these spiritually immature children leading Judah. Surely not these men who have taken God's word and only seen it as a series of lines to be memorized as little more than a group of laws to be followed. Surely God cannot share his message with these men who have exchanged the beauty and the power of God's word in all it was meant to be, all of its life-changing glory, for an empty, lifeless codex of laws and traditions. Knowledge about God without a relationship with God was destroying Judah and its leaders. And I think Isaiah saw it, and I think he was calling it out. I think he was screaming to the prophets and the priests at the top of his lungs, look at what has already happened to our brothers in the northern kingdom of Israel. They've been destroyed by Assyria. Fifteen years ago it happened. And the same thing is happening to us today. I think this is what Isaiah is reaching, trying to get the people to see. But the people would have none of it. The people continued to major in the minors, so to speak. They were focused on the details of the law, and they had lost the bigger picture. It's very similar to the way that Jesus calls out the hypocrites of the Pharisees in his day in Matthew chapter 23. We read in Matthew 23, Jesus saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You're straining out a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. I think this is what Isaiah is calling out in his people in this passage. They have majored in the minors. They, they know all the details of the law. 
but they've lost what Jesus describes as the weightier matters. There's no justice in their life. There's no mercy. There's no faithfulness. They're drunk. They're, they're, they're out of their minds with alcohol. There's no evidence in their life of a relationship with God. And the Lord is willing and ready through Isaiah to show Judah what is to come because of their lack of relationship with him. Verses 11 through 13, Isaiah prophesies the coming destruction of Judah by a people of strange lips and with foreign tongues. He's talking about the Babylonians that are going to come and destroy Judah if they continue down this path. He says that ultimately the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, until it destroys them. He's saying to them, if you continue down this path, if you continue making the word of God just a series of laws and lists, it will be that to you, to your ultimate destruction. As long as the word of God is only precepts, it's only laws and commands, it will lead to their destruction. And that's what verses 14 through 22, which we're not going to read this morning, describe. Verses 14 through 22, which you can go back and look at later on, Isaiah begins to describe in detail how the Babylonians are going to destroy Judah. And he ends verse 22 by saying this, I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against this whole land. If we served a harsher God, if we served a God who didn't love to save his people, to draw close to the battered, if we served a bitter, angry, unjust God, then verse 22 might well have been the end of the chapter and the end of the line for, for Judah and for us. But we don't, and it wasn't. What Isaiah begins to unfold for his audience in verse 23 is this parable. It, it actually seems out of place at first, because he's just gotten done describing how the Lord is going to destroy Judah. I've seen a decree of destruction for this whole land. Now let me talk about a farmer. It's, it's a hard left turn into a parable. And Isaiah calls it out in verse 23 by saying, Give ear and hear my voice. This is, this is the common refrain in Hebrew wisdom literature. We see Jesus do it all the time. right? Jesus says it all the time before he, he shares his parables. Listen, all those of you who have ears to hear. Isaiah is doing the same thing. All of what I've said is true, but now listen to this because there's a way out. And he's about to unfold for them in this parable a way that they can live differently. And so again, Isaiah in verse 23, he says, Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheat in rows, and barley in its proper place. Immer as the border, for he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. What, what do we have here in the story of a farmer? Why Isaiah goes into detail about how the farmer plows his land. What, what is the purpose of describing this to the people? Why does he say how the wheat is scattered, how the cumin is sowed, how, how the barley is put in its proper place? I think the reason he does it is to, to, to describe for them what instruction by the Lord actually looks like. See, what they were getting from their prophets and their priests was this line upon line teaching, this focus on the law and, and the precepts and the commands. 
but it had no evidence of life-changing action for them. Why does the farmer shift from one thing to the next? Why does he do so many different tasks described in such detail? I think the key of it is in verse 26. The farmer is rightly instructed. How? Because his God teaches him. So the contrast at the heart of this entire chapter 28, the beauty of what Isaiah is doing here, is in trying to show the people that right instruction, the teaching of the Lord, does not lead to endless line-by-line, precept-by-precept learning. Instead, it leads to an active life where every action, every move we make is influenced by how the Lord has taught us to live. Isaiah continues to unfold this in the second half of his parable. He says in verse 27, Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Verses 27 and 28 drive at this idea of the farmer knowing how to handle each and every situation. Each crop is to be treated differently. He can't apply the same tools and the same concepts to each and every grain. They all require different skills and different methods. How does the farmer know how to treat each type of grain? It's because the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom, has given him this understanding. See, one final time, Isaiah contrasts the leaders of Judah and their teaching of God's word with how God himself teaches All it is for these leaders of Judah is endless words, endless lists of rules to be followed, but not for the farmer. See, the farmer, we see in verse 26, has used a personal pronoun to describe God. In verse 26, it's not the God who dwells in unapproachable light, the great and powerful I am. All of those things are true about God. But the picture that Isaiah paints in in verse 26 is a relationship a relational God. The farmer and God have a relationship. His God instructs him. The nameless man in in Isaiah's parable has a personal relationship with God, and that relationship has led not to endless head knowledge, but instead to life-directing practical wisdom. And now there's a question. And it, it looms over all of us or At least it loomed over me when I was preparing for this. And the question that rings in my mind anytime I read something like this. So what about that? What would you have me now do with that? Yeah, that's all well and good. Here's Isaiah 28. You've interpreted it a certain kind of way. You've shared some things with me. What do I do with it? How do I live so that I'm not one of these prophets and priests that have all this head knowledge about God? How do I live so that I'm like the farmer who has a relationship with God? Give me something that I can take away. So what? And the good thing about this question is that it draws us back to our sermon in a sentence. Knowledge of God without a relationship with God ultimately leads to destruction. The drunkards, the priests, the prophets, they had all the knowledge of the Lord you could want. These men were trained up in the Torah their entire lives. They had probably forgotten more passages of Scripture than everybody in this room combined has ever memorized in their whole life. These men knew God's word, but that's all they had. They had knowledge, they had rules, they had lists. 
What they didn't have was relationship. And, and I want to pause here and make sure that you don't hear what I'm not saying, which is a double negative, and you shouldn't do that when you're speaking, but it's the best I could come up with. I am not saying read your Bible less carefully. Put that in big, bold print, top of my message. I'm not saying study your Bible less carefully. Spend less time reading this book. Isaiah probably spent more time studying the word of God than these prophets and these priests. But what I am saying is that if all your time spent studying this book doesn't change the way you live, then something is out of place. That's what I am saying. The so what that I would want you to take away from this message is not study your Bible less. It's not spend less time with God. What I want you to hear this morning is that what we have in front of us is actually better. See, what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 about us, about what we have, is that we have the confidence through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We can't miss that what we have is so much more than just head knowledge. It's so much better than just words in a book. It's a covenant. It's a promise sealed with the Spirit and sealed with the blood of the Savior. It should call us into relationships. It should call us into changed hearts and changed lives. The Word of God was designed for many purposes. Paul tells Timothy it's useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and training in righteousness. In other words, this book is not just a simple collection of rules. It is the very Word of God for us and to us. And one way that we may be able to answer the so what question this morning is this. If you sitting here, if I standing here, cannot think of the last time that studying this book caused a change in my heart or in my life, then I may be in danger of stacking up knowledge about God without a relationship with God. And so too might you be. If you cannot think of the last time that your study of this book impacted your life in a way that changed it, then you may be in danger of the same problem that was facing Judah in Isaiah's day. See, the major difference between the farmer and the prophets, both had knowledge of God. We are told that the farmer was instructed by God. But the rulers had knowledge of God taught to them since their earliest days. The difference was when God spoke to the farmer, plow here, sow there, crush this grain, strain out this one, the farmer's response was simple. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you said. When God spoke to the prophets and the priests through his word and through the law, they were blind, deaf, and dumb. They were too busy chasing the things of this world to concern themselves with the will of God. So the question for us this morning is, which one are we? The personal question that we have to ask ourselves coming out of this time of worship is, do I have a relationship with God? that affects the way I live my life? Or do I just know a lot of facts about God? Do I know how to look like I have a relationship with God? But does that relationship with God actually impact my life? So I would hope that the cry of our hearts this morning, the gospel cry from this book would be, I have nothing inside myself that is worthy of you, God. 
I have no knowledge, no understanding, no goodness, nothing in me that could possibly save me. I have nothing but Christ. That should be what we take away from this book this morning. All the knowledge in the world won't save us. When we come before the throne of grace, it will not be because of what we know, but because of who we're in relationship with that we're saved. Let's pray together. Father God, we're thankful, Lord, that no matter what level of head knowledge we may have about you, we can all be in relationship with you. Life-changing, soul-altering, heart-transforming relationship with the Savior. That's the best news that there is. That though we were hopeless, helpless, lost sinners, you sent your son, you intervened, you offered what you didn't have to offer. And now we have the opportunity to take advantage of it. To be in relationship with the Savior of the world, with the God who created it all. Lord, my prayer is simply that we would take advantage of it, that we would strive to be in relationship with you, that the words in this book would not simply be just words. They would drive us to change, to being a little more like you every day. I pray for those in this room, God, that do not know you. I pray that they would. I pray that your Holy Spirit would change that today, in this moment, in this place. Would you do a miraculous work in our hearts and in our lives? And we ask it all in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen.